it's not like I don't get frustrated either. Okay? I've told you this. I go home. I take double Ambien. Didn't work. I woke up at 317. I came to work at 345 Sunday morning. That's just the way it is. Okay? So it's not like I don't notice, and it's not like I don't understand people's frustration. But we also live in a society today where people want to bitch and complain about everything instead of uh, put, putting their pants on and go fix it. We're going to fix it. There's nobody around here going to bitch and complain, from me to a coach to a player to anybody that works in that building over there. So that's the way it works. That's the way that we'll get better. But I certainly understand how and why people think that way. But I would, I would ask them to do this. I would ask them to reflect on a teenager and the mistakes that teenagers make. And then as a parent, you sit there and think, how could that happen? I've been doing the best I can to parent him. I can't believe he went around the back of the school and smoked a cigarette. Uh, yeah, I'm not really sure what to do with all that. Anyway, this is the Big 12 Bullets. Ah, yes. Welcome to the Big 12 Bullets. We are back this week. We had another great weekend in the Big 12. In honor of Mike Gundy, I have taken two Ambien and am broadcasting on two Ambien just to see what it's like. No, I'm, I'm not. Because if I had, this would just be 14 straight hours of silence. I don't understand how that man works. I don't understand how that man can take two Ambien and then still wake up in in the three o'clock hour and make it to work. I think that was him. That was almost a cry for help, <laughs> telling you what kind of pressure he's under right now, what kind of stress he's feeling as his team drops their third out of four games. This one to Baylor. We're going to talk about that game for a little bit. We're going to talk about OU West Virginia and the schooner crash scene and heard around the world. I was there. I'll tell you my recollection of it. And we're going to talk super briefly about TCU Kansas State. But what game, what game happened this weekend that really needs to be discussed? That's right. Kansas almost beat Texas again. We talked about this in the newsletter portion of the Big 12 Bullets, so I'm not going to break down every part of the game. There's a couple parts of the game that I really do want to talk about, and uh, we really we need to explore a little bit of exactly what is happening down in Austin, and is this a sign of, of things to come? Is this going to be a disastrous season for Tom Herman following this game, or was that a blip on the radar screen and they're going to turn things around? We'll get into that, and then we'll also talk about the upcoming games this weekend. I think there might be a, a trap game for OU on the horizon, so that's something to to watch out for. But let's start with Mike Gundy, because we already did kind of start with Mike Gundy, and really we're going to start talking Baylor, because Baylor, like I said last week, if they won this game, they would be setting themselves up for 9-0 and as they go into playing Oklahoma in November. That is exactly what it looks like it's going to happen. Their win against Oklahoma State in a, in a fairly tough game, a game that they had to hang around for a little while. Their defense had to make some big plays, uh, recovering fumbles or, or forcing fumbles, recovering them, um, really taking advantage of Spencer Sanders' freshman-ness um, 
like I've said all season, Sanders at, at Oklahoma State is a good player, and he's going to be a really good player, I think. But he he makes a lot of bad decisions, and he definitely looks like a freshman. And, and Baylor's defense is legit, and they made him, you know, they forced him into some bad decisions. Charlie Brewer, like we said, like I said last week, is a tough kid, a smart kid, and he is a winner. And he, he pulled out another win against Oklahoma State on the road uh, at America's greatest homecoming in Stillwater, as they call it. It was a big win for Baylor, and they are they are looking at if they take care of business against West Virginia. And TCU will be tough just because it's a rivalry game, but they should win that game against TCU easily. They're looking at not only being 9-0 and when they play what will hopefully be, you know, number four, Oklahoma. They're looking at possibly being a top 10 team um, by that time. Now, like I said, I'm not exactly sure if they will be a top 10 team because they won't have any ranked wins and you really aren't typically a top 10 team without a ranked win. At the same time, if they're undefeated, they're undefeated and they're in the Big 12. So they probably will be close. Uh, You know, look at a team like SMU who will who is still undefeated and uh, is not in the Big 12. I don't think SMU will make it into the top 10 unless they're undefeated at the end of the regular season. Whereas I think Baylor could get into that top 10 quicker than SMU just by being in the Big 12. So we're looking a little bit too far down the road because there's a lot of business that needs to be taken care of before then. But that's that's just Baylor passed their first test, or they're really, I guess, their second test of the season by winning uh, this weekend against Oklahoma State. And I think that not only are they legit, I don't think there's an argument about that anymore. It's this is this is good for the entire Big Twelve that there will be late season ranked matchups because if Oklahoma State beats Oklahoma or sorry, if Baylor beats Oklahoma, then they play Texas. Um and Texas will, you know, who knows what's gonna happen with Texas, but there's a good chance that we might have two highly ranked Big 12 matchups towards the end of the season and then have the Big 12 championship game, which, you know, that could involve uh, an Iowa State that might be ranked or that could involve uh, Baylor again playing in Oklahoma or uh, even Texas or, you know, there's there's a lot of intrigue. Baylor has really made the conference a much more interesting conference than I think would have been predicted at the beginning of the season. We've been looking for who that third team is. It's looking like Texas might be the third team and Baylor might be the second team right now. Should we get into Texas? Should we talk about Texas? Yeah, we're going to talk about Texas. We're going to talk about the fact that not only did they almost lose to Kansas, they gave up 24 points to Kansas in the fourth quarter. Now they scored more than Kansas in the fourth quarter and that's all that matters but they gave up 24 points to Kansas in the fourth quarter. They gave up 48 points to Kansas. Oklahoma's horrific defense last season gave up 40 points to Kansas, and Kansas scored 48 points against Texas in Austin. That's inexcusable. Mike Stoops got fired for giving up that many points to Texas. How does Todd Orlando still have a job at Texas? I I don't get it. And you want to talk about the type of move that a coach makes when their back is against the wall. Lincoln Riley has had the most success of like any coach ever in his first three years, basically besides like Barry Switzer himself. 
But his back was against the wall with Mike Stoops still being his defensive coordinator. He could not move forward as a coach and make that next step without making that move. And Tom Herman probably needs to make the same kind of move with Todd Orlando. Texas' defense has been kind of the only thing that they've done pretty well in their this kind of decade in the wilderness that they've spent. And now that's falling apart. Sure, they have injuries. And Kansas, we'll get into that in a little bit. But Texas, this is just, I'm sorry. I just don't see a way back from you giving up 48 points to Kansas as a defense. Oklahoma made the move. It improved their defense a little bit during the season, but obviously the biggest improvement was the next offseason. But if you want to look at what a move, making a move in the season can do, the type of difference it can make, look at Kansas. Les Miles fired their offensive coordinator, who ironically enough was also named Les, after six weeks of not producing at Kansas and pr- promoted Brett Deerman, who Deerman has been, I, I wouldn't say a miracle worker, but that offense is ex- has picked up a lot since then. And, you know, that's that's the type of move that a coach makes that knows he has to be producing results right now. He's at Kansas. He just started. His leash is really long. Tom Herman's kind of acting like his leash is really long. If Dicker misses that kick and they lose to Kansas at home after just losing to Oklahoma for the second time in a row, uh, I don't know how long Tom Herman's leash is. I'm not I'm not saying that Texas fans should be calling for his job, but he's getting a lot of credit for winning that Sugar Bowl last year. And if we look at when Oklahoma won the Sugar Bowl against Alabama and everyone kind of thought they were back with Trevor Knight at quarterback, it didn't really work. They had to make moves. They had to go get Lincoln Riley the next year, and it worked. That that worked. And obviously having Baker Mayfield and, and then Kyler Murray and all of that, I just wonder what Herman is going to do because – if they play like they played this week, they're not going to beat a lot of these other teams. They're not going to beat Baylor. You know, they're they're not going to be playing in the Big 12 championship again. And then you're really talking about what has Tom Herman done besides that Sugar Bowl. Again, I'm not I'm not calling for his job, but I'm saying that the, the whispers are going to start, and especially if Dicker misses that kick. And the one decision, Herman should have... There was a decision he made at the end of this game that I honestly think should have gotten him fired on the spot if it didn't work out. I mean, literally, this was one of the dumbest moves I've ever seen a coach make, and he got away with it. But if it had gone haywire and they lost this game because of this decision, I I just frankly cannot see how you make this decision and get away with it. There were eight seconds left. Texas was well within Cameron Dicker's field goal range. Dicker is a great kicker. He's Dicker the kicker. He's the guy that you're confident in is going to make this kick. They call a timeout with eight seconds left, well within range. They have no timeouts left. There's eight seconds, and they decided to run another play. They ran another play knowing that if they got tackled in bounds, the game was over. It wasn't oh, you know, we might have to, you know, rush up and, and, and spike it. No, the game was over. You cannot get the ball and get set and spike it within four seconds. So let's say the snap went wrong. 
Oh, it's a, it's a fumbled snap, so somebody has to fall on the ball. Game over. Let's say the pass is thrown and the receiver's tackled inbounds. Game over. Let's say Sam Ellinger gets sacked. Game over. Let's say Ellinger looks, receiver's not open, panics for a second, throws it uh, away, but it the play took eight seconds. I don't know. There's so many things that could have happened on that play that would have, and, and the risk was so great, and the reward was a four-yard pass. They got four more yards for their excellent kicker who made the kick easily. He would have made it from four yards back. There was no reason for this play, and I couldn't believe that it was called. And even the the extremely homeristic Longhorn Network announcers who were calling this game were like really questioning the decision. They did not understand what was going on. And these were guys who, during this game-winning drive, were like praising Texas's performance as they were possibly going to lose to Kansas. They're not the type of people who are going to be criticizing Tom Herman. But this play, the, I just, I'm probably the only person that's like blowing this out of proportion because they won. It didn't matter. But if they'd have lost, this would be the lead story on ESPN. Why did Tom Herman run another play with eight seconds left and no timeouts? I don't know. It doesn't matter because Texas won and, and they have Dicker the kicker. And it's one of the things I explored in, in this week's newsletter is where would Texas be without that kid? You know, I talk about it in the newsletter, so I'm not going to get into it here. But just think about that. I mean, what an important player. He's he's kind of the MVP of the team. Having a great kicker is a big deal. And a lot of college college teams don't have that. It's actually something I'm very nervous about with Oklahoma. Our kicker hasn't been tested at all. We kicked the 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 opening uh, the the starting kicker off the team for a couple different things. He had missed his first two kicks anyway. So now the backup kicker has been kicking, but he hasn't really had to make any big field goals. But I do wonder about him because I'm like, if he didn't win the job in in preseason, then how's he better than the guy who missed two field goals to start his career? I don't know. That's something I'm nervous about, and that might come into play in the college football playoff. Texas doesn't have to worry about that because they have Dicker the kicker, who's amazing. Speaking of Oklahoma, I was I was at the Oklahoma-West Virginia game this, this year. It was great, beautiful weather, great game. That legitimately, this Oklahoma team is the best Oklahoma team I've seen. The most complete Oklahoma team I've seen. That offense is unstoppable. The defense actually looks legit, makes real plays. I know we talked about this with... The nine sacks against Texas and the dominance there. And again, West Virginia is not great. But this is an Oklahoma defense that gave up 40 points to Kansas last year. This is Oklahoma defense that gave up like 49 points to Oklahoma State last year. It's not a defense that last year was dominating bad teams. This year, so far, they've dominated bad teams. They've dominated what we think is a pretty good team in Texas. We need more tests. We need to really see that again and again because it's one of those things that you just can't believe your eyes and you have to see it proven over and over again. But I think having seen it in person, this Texas D, I mean, this Oklahoma defense looks really, really, really good. I did have a funny interaction with a guy behind me in the crowd. Jalen Hurts uh, dropped a uh, snap that he got under center randomly uh, trying to run a, a goal line play, dropped the snap. And the guy said, you know, we just don't have the quarterback play that we've had over the last few years. And I turned around and I said, well, first of all, that's kind of hard to do. I mean, we, it's two straight Heismans. You know, literally no one in the country has had that that good of quarterback play. And we may never, ever see that good of quarterback play again two times in a row at the same school. And Jalen Hurts has been unreal. 
He's not as dynamic as those guys, but he's been unbelievable. But the other thing I said was, well, look across the field. The West Virginia quarterback is Austin Kendall. That should be Oklahoma's starting quarterback this year. And he's not very good. So we could be having that guy as a starting quarterback, and we wouldn't be talking about a national championship this year. We wouldn't even be talking about a Big 12 championship this year, I don't think. Kendall, of course, would look better in a Lincoln-Riley offense than you know what he's got going on at West Virginia. He'd have more weapons. But he wouldn't be making the, the dynamic plays that Jalen Hurts makes. Jalen's not as dynamic as Kyler, but who is? And so I think Oklahoma fans may be the most spoiled in the country when it comes to quarterback play. Uh, and I hope most of them don't feel the same way that guy does, but maybe they do. Now I know you want to hear about the most important thing that happened this weekend. The crash of the Sooner Schooner. I regret to inform you that this was the one time during the entire game that I went to the restroom. Uh, Oklahoma had just scored. It was before halftime. I thought if I go at halftime, then the line will be really long. Let me just go right now. I walk down the stairs, I turn into the concourse, and I just hear like everyone freaking out, and I go straight to the TV screen and see this, this, this schooner just shattered. And of course, everyone's first thought is how many people are injured. Turns out everyone seemed to be okay. Wagons apparently are made pretty well to where they, when the, the top falls off, the bottom keeps going and the horses are fine. Everything seems to be pretty great. Uh, it could have been a much worse situation. That said... Another way it could have been worse, a lot of times the roughnecks, there's one hanging out the back upside down, waving a flag, and then like two inside holding that guy's legs. I don't know what goes into the decision to have or not have guy hanging out the back upside down, but good decision not to do that this time because that guy would have been in a bad way if he was back there. So... Shout out to the Roughnecks for not having a guy back there hanging upside down the one time they flip it in, you know, 70 years. Uh, I don't know if that uh, that driver is going to be allowed back. He definitely took that turn a little too sharp. A lot of people were trying to figure out, like, what the big issue was or what the problem was. The problem was he took the turn too sharp. It's not that complicated. It's a wagon. You can see the top heavy, uh, the top heavy part just, just go right over. Uh, I don't know that there needs to be an inquiry into uh, anything going on. Just, uh, you know, make sure the drivers don't turn too sharply next time. That's my analysis as someone who's never even been in a Conestoga wagon or any kind of schooner of any kind. I'm a genius. Listen to me. Speaking of a genius and listen to me, I don't really have much insight into the TCU-Kansas State game this weekend. Kansas State won by a touchdown 24-17. Kind of like I guess I would have predicted. I think Kansas State is the better overall team. TCU has really got some problems. They're really struggling. I don't know if they're going to be able to figure out what they've got going on this this year. Um, it might be a thing they need to wait till next year. But this brings me to the point I teased a little earlier. I do think... Texas had their trap game against Kansas last weekend. I kind of predicted-ish that that, that that was a possibility. I think there is a possibility of a Kansas State trap game with Oklahoma. Oklahoma rolling, have not been tested except in that Texas game. Kansas State, a good defensive team, always a disciplined team, tough team to break down. They typically are just different than everyone else that you are used to playing. And there is a possibility, especially in a, another 11 a.m. game for Oklahoma. I mean, they should be used to it by now, but uh, some of these things kind of can combine to be a tough game. 
And Oklahoma, like I said, not having been tested, let's say that going into the third quarter, Kansas State is 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 has them at 14 all or something like that. A couple of things go Kansas State's way. You could really be talking about a serious trap game. Kansas State has often been a trap game for Oklahoma. And I could see that coming into play. Like, I don't think Oklahoma State will be a trap game for Oklahoma because it's a rivalry. I don't think Baylor will be because Baylor will likely be highly ranked. You know, I don't think Iowa State, you know, a lot of these games for the rest of the season are going to be obviously tough games for Oklahoma. Kansas State might not be an obviously tough one, and it could turn into a tough one. So, Definitely something to watch out for this weekend with the upcoming games. Other games, Texas should definitely dominate TCU, but hey, (laughs) impossible to predict what's going on with Texas right now. Oklahoma State, Iowa State. This is a huge game for Mike Gundy. Like we've said all season, Oklahoma State is a pretty good team that has a lot of flaws, but if they, you know, the, the way they're reeling right now, if they go and lose to Iowa State, they still have Oklahoma on their schedule. It could be they still have several games that could be losses on their schedule. They've got obviously this Iowa State game this weekend. TCU and Kansas should be wins, but and TCU, Kansas, and West Virginia all should be wins. But you know, to run the table against all three of those it might be tougher than you think. And then you finish the season with Oklahoma. A, a big win against Iowa State sets them back on a trajectory of having a decent season. A loss really puts the pressure back on Mike Gundy and he's really going to need to get right against TCU and he's really going to need to get right against Kansas and West Virginia because then they play Oklahoma in in the season. Iowa State got back in the top 25. They need to keep rolling. They need to keep their momentum and, and keep riding the ship from their earlier struggles. But these are the games that make the Big 12 kind of tough. You have these teams that are not ranked that you know may be on a losing streak and they still have the offensive firepower to beat anybody at any time. It's uh, it, it's a tough, tough road in the Big 12 because you do have to play everybody. I know that's kind of a cliche. I know that's like the marketing slogan is, oh, it's so tough because you have to play everybody. But it is true. Like You don't get lucky scheduling in the Big 12 like you can in a bigger conference like the Big 10 or the SEC where you say, oh, well, we don't have to play Iowa, Ohio State this year, you know, so we can make the Big Ten championship without having to play, you know, the really tough team in in the Big Ten or, uh, you know, a, a team in the SEC East doesn't have to play Alabama or LSU one year, so their schedule might be pretty easy. It, it's it's something that you don't get away with in the Big Twelve. At the same time, obviously, you don't have a team like LSU. You don't. You have one team the caliber of LSU, Alabama in Oklahoma, and then you don't have the teams that are like Florida, Auburn, uh, some of these other Georgia that are highly ranked but are not one and two. They don't really, those don't really exist in the Big 12, but then you have a lot of these teams that are kind of 10 and below, which is where I'd put Texas, where I'd put Baylor, where I'd put Iowa State, and I, that's where I would put Oklahoma State at best. If they were living up to their potential, that's where they would be. So it's a tough, tough uh, road because you do have to play everybody. And then you have that kind of wonky championship game. Oklahoma has been able to handle it the last four years. All these other teams are trying to figure out how they can sneak in there and be the team that that beats Oklahoma to that. But for Iowa State to be that team, obviously they have to win this weekend. I think they will. And I think we might get another great Mike Gundy 
press conference. He might have to take three Ambien this time just to get a get some sleep or else he'll be at the office at 1 a.m. on Sunday morning. Anyway, if this podcast wasn't enough of an Ambien to put you to sleep, give me a good rating on iTunes, on Spotify, on SoundCloud. Follow me on all those things. Follow me on Twitter. Friend me on Facebook if you, for some reason, want to do that. I don't really post much. Follow me on Instagram if you want to see pictures of my personal life. But truthfully, what I really want from you, ratings on all those podcast apps, subscribe to the newsletter, go to Big12Bullets.com. You'll get a little pop-up of Bob Bowlesby or click on like many links that I have about signing up. Sign up for the newsletter. You get a, a different take on things there. Uh, you get some gifts. You get some bu- bullets. I mean, it's the Big 12 Bullets. Obviously, you got some bullets. So that's that's a whole different sort of experience than the podcast. Podcast, I kind of expand on things, explore different aspects of the Big 12. The bullets, more to the point, more to um, the visual learner. So experience the Big 12 Bullets any way you like, and I will talk to you next week on the Big 12 Bullets. Camp's still on.